All right. Good morning. Welcome, Grace Christian Fellowship. Uh, let's begin with prayer. <clears throat> Father, we ask that you would help us to enter into your presence with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe, with the deepest sense that we are welcome, and that paradoxically we need not be afraid. So we pray that you would help us to hold those two truths in tension the reality that we are entering into the throne room of Almighty God and that we are being welcomed as children by an affectionate father, the penultimate affectionate father. And we thank you, Lord, that we, your children, have been welcomed into your house and even that we are your house and have become a house for your name. Thank you, Lord. Please open our minds to understand the scriptures and we ask that your word would speak to us and change us today, that we might be more fully formed into the mature man, into the image of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. In our studies in Acts, we recently read... And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the Holy Spirit did extraordinary things in their midst. And the kingdom of God was advancing house by house. If we want our lives to look like the book of Acts, and we do, we will need to do exactly that. Devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching to the breaking of bread, that's sharing in communion, uh, to the fellowship, and to prayer. Today, I'd like to look at one aspect of that, the apostles' teaching. So what is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching was the same as the teaching of Jesus. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, about true righteousness. He taught about himself in all the scriptures, right? So where did he get those ideas? Were any of them new? One might say he expounded on what was already there, but not in a way that uh, changed what was already there. So the apostles' teachings were the teaching of Jesus. So where do we read about the teaching of Jesus? The New Testament. So we need to read our New Testament. Specifically, we need to read the four Gospels, right? Well, Jesus' teaching was already written down before his incarnation, before he came to teach it. He taught the Jewish scriptures. And of course, he used parables and asked probing questions, and often just summarized or quoted the Old Testament. Sometimes in the first five books of the Bible, like Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy, and sometimes in the Psalms and other writings, and sometimes he quoted the prophets. So Jesus teaches the Bible. Jesus was always teaching, and he was teaching the Bible. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, and he taught from the Bible. From memory, mostly. Although, he read and taught from it on the Sabbath, as was his custom. When we come to the book of Acts, we see the apostles carrying on the same ministry as Jesus. So now, Jesus is still working, but through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles. And the apostles make disciples 
teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. You are those disciples, learning to obey all that Jesus still commands in all the scriptures, and teaching your children and disciples to do the same. That is our work and our mission and our vision. So the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching is the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus taught from the whole Old Testament. You are his disciples if you abide in his word. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He said, you are my disciples if you abide in my word. So today we're going to go back in time and look through a window into the scriptures in the book of, in the gospel of Luke and zoom in on Jesus while he is teaching. We're not going to find out what he teaches, but we know what he taught because he taught from the Jewish scriptures and expounded on them. In fact, we're going to go right into the house with him and sit at his feet listening. Listening to him teach and explain the word of God. And we're going to see two people with good intentions. One who abided in his word at all costs to the exclusion of everything else. And one who is too busy serving and preparing to abide in the word. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, or only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, in the previous verses, Jesus sent out the 72, a whole bunch of his disciples, and they went out and ministered, and they came back rejoicing, and they said, Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. They had just learned how to do deliverance. They were praying that demons would be cast out of people. They were praying gospel renewal prayers with uh, new disciples they were making. They were teaching the word of God, and they were thrilled that they were seeing people come to Christ, get delivered from bondage to sin and a by demons, and Jesus is like, great, but you should be excited that your names are written in the book of life, right? He's like, don't rejoice in this that the demons are subject to, to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. So in the preceding verses to our passage today, we see the pattern of disciples doing the work of the ministry and the Holy Spirit powerfully uh, giving deliverance to people and people are converting to Christ. And Jesus says, okay, good, but. 
but what? That's like awesome. That's what we long for, like that kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But in the midst of this powerful move of God, Jesus says, actually, you should be focused on heaven, right? Not going to heaven in the kind of reductionist sense. Your, your attention, your gaze should be fixed on God himself. You should be finding your deepest joy, your deepest satisfaction, your deepest longing, your deepest motivation with your eyes fixed right on him and not even on all these wonderful things that I'm doing in your midst. I am to be your true focus. And now Jesus comes with at least the 12 apostles, probably with a whole a cadre of followers, probably all the 72, and probably others also. When he comes to this little village, it's the little village of Bethany where uh, Mary and Martha uh, live, and uh, their brother is Lazarus, you know, who was raised from the dead by Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and Jesus loves these, uh, uh, these, this family very dearly. Um, I don't know if he already knows them at this point or if he's just meeting them now. Good question. But Martha sees the Lord come into the village, the Lord and all these other people with him, and she practices uh, godly hospitality, and she welcomes him into her home, but not only him, everybody who's with him. So this would be like, um, at the end of the service, let's say we have 100 people in the service, right? And... um, John, let's say, Lourdes stands up and says, and okay, and after the, you know, the meal and the fellowship hall, everybody's invited to my house. You'd turn to her and you'd be like, our house can't fit 100 people. Like, not just for fire code's sake, like literally can't fit 100 people. And I'm like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You don't even have enough water. You don't have enough food. Like, what, how, can you, how can you show hospitality to a, a, a small crowd of people in any proper sense, if you don't even have that much food in your house. You don't keep food for that many people in your cupboards, right? And so, so Martha, obviously she was distracted with much serving. She has recognized that she, she may have discerned that this is the Lord of glory, or she may have discerned that Jesus was a great teacher, uh, perhaps the greatest teacher, you know, perhaps a great prophet. Uh, I don't know exactly how she, how she saw him at this point, but when she received him into her home, she immediately tried to do the best she could to show hospitality to him and his disciples with him, right? And so she probably quickly sent all available family members to the neighbors and said, everybody come, drop what you're doing, run, bring all your food, knead your bread, bring your pitchers, fill them up with water, bring the, the best, uh, bring everything you have right now. And everybody's scrambling. And ev- I'm sure they still had to wait like an hour. If you've ever gone to a restaurant and there's like a convention in town and they didn't call ahead and all of a sudden a bunch of people just decided to go to that restaurant, you're stuck waiting while three servers serve like 85 people and it's going to be an hour before you even get your food, right? So this is what's going on here. Martha, Martha is undertaking a noble thing, and she has the delight and honor of welcoming the Lord of glory into her home and serving him and letting water be brought to wash his feet. What a, if any of us would give probably anything we had to be able to be Martha 
And we would have counted it a great honor to just to serve the Lord and to have him in our home. What an extraordinary thing. And she was doing her best. And she was distracted. Of course she is distracted with much serving. And so I think in a very understandable way, she goes to Jesus after her sister abandons her and fails to show hospitality to the Lord. I'm sure she's thinking that. And he's just, she's just sitting there at his feet. So, you know, you had these low tables. They were probably reclining at a low table. And, you know, maybe they lean on their elbows and stretch out their feet. And so there are the disciples or, uh, the, who became the apostles, as many as could fit around whatever table they had or accommodations they had. And, and I imagine many more uh, standing or sitting or kneeling all around them. And there was Mary sitting at Jesus' feet listening. There's this thing in the Bible about sitting at someone's feet and being taught. In the book of Acts, Paul says that, or Acts or Galatians or Corinthians, in the New Testament somewhere it is written, Paul says that uh, he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel is the one we'll see in, I believe, Acts chapter 4, possibly 5, that who stands up and silences all the religious leaders, and he's like, look, if this undertaking is of God... Uh, you might find yourself fighting against God, so just let these, let these disciples of Jesus go, you know, and, and don't, don't interfere, because uh, it could actually be God doing all these extraordinary miracles resulting in praise to God that we see, even though, you know, they're very, you know, they're against us, right? And so Gamaliel has a little bit of wisdom. He is a great teacher of the Jewish scriptures, and he's known uh, outside the Bible. He's mentioned, uh, it says of Gamaliel that, uh, when Gamaliel died, love for the law died. But, of course, it lived on in the church. So, so he certainly loved the Word of God. And Paul was educated, he says, at the feet of Gamaliel. What that means is Paul was a disciple. Now, Paul was obviously discipled in some, um, some pharisaical kind of thinking there, um, being a persecutor of the church. But the pattern of sitting at one's feet listening is a picture of Christian discipleship in the Bible. And so Mary, quite literally, has become a disciple of Christ, whereas Martha is busy showing hospitality to guests. Which is better? Gosh, that's a tough question. So Martha comes and one of the greatest violations of social code, social rules in this day would be to refuse hospitality or show poor hospitality to a guest. And Martha is deeply bothered, among other things, that Mary is abandoning her to serve alone. And so she actually goes up to Jesus while he's teaching, and she says to him, she says to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. I thought eating was necessary. Have you ever tried to fast? Mm -hmm. You immediately, by about 
for me, right before breakfast time, become acutely aware on your fast day that, um, that you're not doing something that you need to do, and maybe today isn't the right day to fast. Maybe I should fast tomorrow. <laughs> I have that thought about 52 times a year um, by breakfast time and, um, or before. So eating, one might argue, is necessary. Uh, washing your feet if you, if you are sweaty and you're walking around Israel and you're, you know, I mean, there are animals on the road, so maybe there's manure, right? The roads aren't necessarily clean. Uh, they could have gotten manure in between their toes, like, you know, they would smell. They'd be sweaty. They'd been walk, they walked to this village, right? Um, they didn't use modern deodorant and antiperspirant. So, washing one's feet, providing hospitality, eating, having water, these are among, you know, we're getting down to like core basic necessities of life. And Jesus counters that urgency in Martha's heart, that urgency we feel every day when it's time to read the Bible and something else tugs at our attention. I'm talking about me. And Jesus says to her in front of everybody, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I get like physically anxious when, when I'm fasting because I'm like, well, I need nutrition and it's got to be a healthy breakfast. So even though I'm fasting, I guess I'll have my five vitamins and a coffee. I'll make it double strong because I need energy to get through the work day and I'll have to drink extra water. This is how I fast. And, and so Jesus is like, you don't need anything except me. Jesus here is the bread that has come down from heaven. It's like there are two loaves, two loaves of bread. One is the bread of serving, and Martha is eager and willing to, to sacrifice her money. I mean, she might have gone into debt to, to have them in her home, who knows, you know? And she's borrowing from neighbors probably, and she is serving bread to Jesus and his disciples. And he says, we don't need that. He's challenging the root of her thinking that's deep in her heart. And then there's this other loaf. It's the loaf of the bread of life. And he says, Mary has chosen this loaf, and she will be satisfied in me. So here we're looking into a window into Jesus teaching his disciples, among whom is now Mary. And what's wrong with this, though? What's wrong with this picture? It's not really just a window into their lives back then. It's a mirror. And we're looking at ourselves when we read the account of Mary and Martha, aren't we? It's a mirror into our own desires, our own appetites, what are we hungry for? Only Christ can make you hungry for himself. When we're hungry, our inclination is to reach out for entertainment, food, pleasure, self-satisfaction, self-gratification, self-glorification, getting, being respected, you know, finding jobs, finding satisfaction in our job, a job well done, uh, maybe, maybe in serving and ministry. 
maybe in volunteering, maybe even volunteering in the church, serving other people, right? Maybe in being a, a godly parent or, or mom or dad or husband or wife or all these things, and none of them are first things. They're all second things. There's only one first thing. And Jesus says, in the most busy time, I think Martha had ever, the most busy, important time perhaps Martha had ever had, it's at that hour that Jesus says, stop, come. It's not a rebuke in the sense that he is saying, you have evil things in your heart, go away from me. It's an invitation for us as we look into this passage like a mirror. It's an invitation for us to draw near. Jesus here, uh, this isn't recorded by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures to criticize. This is recorded to invite. And we all receive today this invitation to come and feast on the bread of life. When we unfold the scriptures with prayer and worship, when we meditate on the word of God, Jesus being the living word of God and the scriptures being the written word of God and every word, every word of the scriptures coming from the mouth of God, supernaturally recorded and preserved by the Holy Spirit over many generations, which was an easy thing to do because he made the world. So could he not preserve the scriptures intact and accurate these years? Cinch. When we open the word of God, a feast, a table is laid out before us. Is it possible to open our Bibles and just read our four chapters a day dutifully for some kind of religious reasons or something? Sure, yeah. Um, and is there any value in that? Well, I mean, you know, Paul, before he was... Paul, when he, was, uh, when he went by Saul, uh, he was a dutiful student of the scriptures. He probably had them all memorized, especially being, uh, being uh, a disciple of the great Gamaliel. He would have had to be, you know, like the best and brightest student. So he probably read the scripture much of the day, every day. He probably had it, and he'd probably done that since he was a little boy, and uh, and he probably had more scripture memorized by far than even our own John Luke, than anybody here, right? And it was all for religiousness, religiosity, and there was no sustenance in it. Can we do that? Yeah, we can do that. Is that a good reason to not open our Bibles and begin the difficult discipline of daily scripture reading. If you read the Bible for an hour a day, you can finish the Bible in 90 days. Have you ever thought about that? I would suggest that when you go home, or in between the services or whatever, um, or if you're a millennial while I'm still talking, um, Google, how long does it take to read each book of the Bible? And uh, at least if you're Googling that in the US, there are probably two top search results and they're both good. And one shows a graph in hours of how long it takes to read each book of the Bible. And the Psalms, I think it says like five hours, but you wouldn't just sit and read through the Psalms, although you could. There'd be some value in that. Probably want to read one or two at a time. Um, but the book of Acts, you can read in two hours and 15 minutes. Many books of the Bible, more than half of them, you can read in one sitting in less than an hour. 
more than half of them. So that means in uh, 66 books of the Bible, in 33 days, in 30 days, you could read half of the Bible at an hour a day. Half of the number of the books of the Bible in an hour a day. Like, what's that, like a third of the Bible, right? So what are we doing that's so important? What are we doing if we're not devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching? And if we're not devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus taught and expounded on the scriptures, if we're not doing that, then what else are we doing? A better question, is it right for us to expect that the Holy Spirit will do today a mighty work of God in our midst if we're not doing what the apostles did and taught? if we're not following the example and the pattern laid down for us? I do not think so. I think that since our mission is rediscovering and restoring biblical Christianity, as was the apostles' mission in a dark generation with traditions like Phariseeism and Sadduceeism and Essene thinking and and so on, right? Uh, All of which were grossly unbiblical in their, in their thinking and, and generally ungodly. The apostles were on a mission to rediscover and restore biblical Christianity. And they had the Holy Spirit and the teaching of Jesus to help them. And that is our mission and our vision too. That is the vision of this church. Should we expect that to happen if we don't devote ourselves to private and corporate study of God's word and to the breaking of bread? into the fellowship, into prayer. I don't think we should expect that. So, what are we doing that's so important? Jesus laid aside his glory to draw near to us. It says in, uh, it says in the Bible that he didn't consider equality with the Father and the Spirit something to be grasped. He didn't consider his godness something that he had to hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself and became God-man, but without all the angels around him singing, holy, 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 without the, the river of fire flowing out from under his throne, without the thunder and lightning flowing out from, you know, coming forth from under his throne like we see in Revelation 4, and in fact, without even a throne physically at all. He came as a tiny, helpless, unclothed baby that needed to be wiped, fed, and, and kept warm, and, and swaddled and all that. Jesus con- didn't consider his, his, uh, his eternal glory something to be held tightly onto. He was never without his glory, but he was, but he did step down from heaven and become as humble as he possibly could have become. And why did he do that? He did that because he was not satisfied to have heaven without you, without me, as members of the family and the kingdom of God, joined with him, seeing his glory. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would see his glory which he had with the Father before the world began. Why didn't he pray that we'd be happy? He did. 
He prayed that we would see his glory, that we would be with him, and that we would see his glory. Because Jesus, knowing all things, knows that ultimate satisfaction, ultimate sustenance and fulfillment, the ultimate meeting of all our needs is centrally and ultimately found in seeing and savoring Jesus Christ, in seeing him and being with him and in beholding his beauty, beholding him in his glory. Therefore, he counted it worthwhile to descend, to condescend, to draw near, to draw near to us in, in our filth, in our un- inability, in, our, in, in becoming a man, a baby. He became like us in every possible way. There's, there's nothing you're going through that he can't relate to in a deep and personal way. God knows all things, but it was in his heart to become one of us and to partake with us in lowliness, in suffering, in humility, and in hunger and thirst, being needy in all those secondary ways. And in doing so, he became for us bread that came down from heaven, manna, sustenance, the one thing the Israelites needed in the wilderness. They asked for lots of other kinds of food, but they needed one thing, and God provided the one thing they needed, just one kind of food, manna that came down from heaven. And it was all they needed for their nutritional needs. It's a picture, a foreshadowing of Christ. There's one thing, there's one person we need, and fellowshipping with him, seeing him, and seeing him in his glory is the one thing we need. So how about when we open our Bibles, and we go to meet the Lord, and we go to feast on Christ, and we have a headache? How about when we go to open our Bibles and begin our our daily time in the Word, and... Uh Uh-oh, I forgot to wash the dishes. That used to be me. I forgot to do my chores. Uh, Before I was married, I had a a less disciplined life until I started reading my Bible. I had this thing, and it was a spiritual battle. Almost every time I went to open my Bible, I would sit down to read the Word of God. And all of a sudden, I was anxious. And I wasn't anxious before. All of a sudden, when I opened my Bible, I thought, oh, I've just got to do the dishes. And almost every time, I would leave it sitting there, and I'd walk away, and I'd do the dishes or sweep the floor. Doesn't that sound like Martha to you? Is that you? Are your quiet time, are your times coming drawing near to his feet to listen? Often crowded out as quickly as they begin, with the things about which you are anxious and troubled. This is not a word of condemnation. This is an invitation. An invitation to begin a new kind of prayer life, to pray every day, Father, please empower me to encounter you powerfully in the word of God and to press through 
And you also must partner with the Holy Spirit and not reject his help by giving it all you've got. If, if you're male, be a man. Press through. And I, in, a, in a figurative sense to everybody, you know, do it. It's hard. Rise up. Rise up and meet with, do everything you can to meet with the Lord to the exclusion of everything else. Because God is going to allow you to be tested. He's going to allow a distracting spirit, maybe a troubling spirit, maybe an anxious spirit or a fearful spirit. I've, I've, I've actually opened my Bible at night, lying on my bed, last thing at night, Finally, you know, everything is done. I'm in bed. Nothing is going to get me out of bed. And I've opened my Bible, and I think I forgot to lock the door. What if somebody breaks in? I've got to protect our family. And I've gotten out of bed and gone downstairs and checked all the locked doors. And when I got back to bed, by then I was too tired to read my Bible. And, oh, I've got to be responsible, and I've got to get enough sleep. So I thought, well, we'll read tomorrow. I'll just think about the Bible. Does that sound like Martha to you? This is an invitation to come and feast at the table of the Lord. The reason Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The reason, the reason he picked that instead of, instead of you know, saying, all right, I'm going to pass around a piece of paper. It says at the top, I commit my heart to Jesus Christ. I want everyone you disciples to sign it. Here, Matthew, put your, put your Matthew Levi on this. Levi signed it. All right. And then when everybody had signed it, John, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, when everybody put their, put their little disciples' signatures on the paper, then he said, all right, I'm going to collect this. I want you to do this every week in remembrance of me. Recommit your heart to me every week. Every church service, you know, from the time the Holy Spirit is poured out and not many days from now, I want everybody to do this every week in remembrance of me. No, he didn't do that. Because there's no life in that. There's life in him. There's power and sustenance. There's feasting, the delight of the soul. It's not, in, it's not in our fellowship, although there is great delight and joy in the fellowship. It's not in, it's not in the pleasure of going out into the neighborhoods and, and serving people and doing good for the poor, although what could be... How could you find something more worthwhile than to do such, such things? It's not, in, um, it's not in a job well done. It's not in righteous accomplishments. It's not even in preaching and teaching the gospel. Paul actually said from prison, he's writing, what, Philippians, I believe? He said, look, there are these guys, and they're preaching Christ. Picture it. People were out Preaching, street preaching, preaching in the marketplace, preaching in houses, evangelizing. And they're actually teaching Christ, right? And former adherents of Judaism are recognizing, perceiving the, the risen Messiah. And they're coming to Christ and they're, and they're meeting in house churches because these guys are preaching. And, and their motive, their motive is to upset Paul, to get under his skin while he's in jail. Is like they're preaching it out of rivalry, right? But I rejoice because Christ is preached. The joy, the satisfaction, it's not in sharing the gospel or, or, 
or teaching the Word of God or, or anything you can do right, do well, get straight, fix. Even it, the, the, the bread, the life, the sustenance, the sustenance, the one thing that we need, it's Him. So how do we get there in our hearts? We glorify Christ when every day we cry out to him to take us from being Martha to being Mary. We glorify him by, by cherishing Christ in our hearts and living accordingly. Where do we go to feast on the word of God? Are you a person who feasts on the God specially, reverently, in a way that's delightful and satisfying every Sunday morning, and you look forward to Sundays, and you, you actually have no spiritual disciplines during the week? Are you a person who dutifully and religiously, like the young Saul, student of Gamaliel, dutifully reads the Bible and gets little or nothing out of it week after week, because it's become a religious habit. To you, the Lord would say, come, all who are thirsty, feast on me. I think it's realistic for all of us, including mothers and busy people who work overtime, to find time with the Lord every day. And every day you don't is a day you're fasting, spiritually. You're fasting. Every day that I don't yield myself to the Lord and open the scriptures and spend time in prayer and worship, every time I lay aside the discipline of scripture reading and I find my sustenance in secondary things, at the end of the day, I have this vapid sense of, well, that was a wasted day. And I think to myself, well, shoot, I, I wish I had just, I, I wish I hadn't done that. It was never worth it. There's no satisfaction in passing pleasures or in secondary things. I have lived the life of somewhat of a hedonist and, uh, you know, somebody who, uh, who likes fun or pleasure or, you know, is kind of pursuing happiness, right? And uh, I've done a lot of pursuing happiness, adventures, and uh, good fellowship with you all, which is a great delight and worth it and, you know, worthwhile. Um, but but I, I have often uh, done those secondary things to the exclusion of treasuring Christ. Or, or I've medicated my, you know, years ago I was lonely every day. I was sad part of the day every day. And sometimes, like, if I, as soon as I, I was happy with people, and then as soon as I was alone, I'd be a little tearful, maybe, right? And just kind of feel this kind of throbbing, aching, kind of heartache kind of thing, right? That was my life. And, um, and so I thought, I know, I'll learn to cook. And I learned to cook, and I would bake fresh bread. And I would make homemade uh, chocolate desserts, and I would cook salmon and shrimp and stir fries and veggies and salads, and I would have people over to my house. In fact, uh, 
I think, Leah, uh, one of our early dates was uh, you and I helped serve about a dozen people that I had over in my house because I liked serving people. And I was a Martha. And I didn't read my Bible because I just, I just believed that I could, I could treat my sadness, my loneliness, I could treat that hunger in my soul with everything else in life. And it never worked. Every time I turned to him, like Paul said, having experienced the loss of all things, having suffered the loss of all things, or like the psalmist said, earth has nothing I desire besides you. I say that almost every day. There are lots of nice things and lots of treasures and people especially. In Psalm 16 it says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And then, uh, then in another place he says, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And then it says again in another psalm, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We, all these other things are like smoke. They're like a, a morning mist that's there and then it passes. And at the end of the day, you're empty or upset or lonely. But when I feast on Christ, my soul is satisfied even when I haven't had a bite of food all day, even when I had a headache all day, even when I had multiple children literally tugging at my legs and I open the back door coming home from work and, and it's like, wah, but like multiple children, right? And I walk into that and some of those days have been some of the best days of my life because I've been feasting on Christ all day long, because I started the day, I found time in between my morning patients to open the Word of God, and I sat down, no food, scriptures, and I only had, I didn't have as much time as I wanted, but I did it first. Like Mary, I sat at his feet listening, and I listened to the Word of Christ in the scriptures, and I gave it as much time as I could, and then all the rest of the day, I feasted on his presence and meditated on what I read. You see, what needs to happen in our lives is we have all these thoughts, and those need to become not our thoughts, and his thoughts need to become our thoughts. And it's not going to happen unless you're in the Word of God like every day, right? When Christ said, uh, when it says that Jesus full of joy in the Holy Spirit, said, and I don't even remember what he said, but that phrase is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, and I want that joy, and I know where to get it, and I've feasted on Christ. Read the Bible every day, and pray two things that God would open your mind to understand the Scripture. Three things. That he would give you a willing spirit to do whatever he tells you, no matter the cost. And you'll be challenged in that. And three, that he would grow your hunger for God's word. Pray that he would open your mind to understand the scripture. Pray that he would grant you a willing spirit to do whatever you read, to do whatever you read, no matter the cost. And pray that he would grow your hunger for God's word. Let's close in prayer.
Oh, Father, we are at your mercy. And we have seen from experience that if we don't read the word of God every day, the gravity of our depravity will bring us down. And so we cry out to you first that you would grow our hunger for your word. We cry out to you second that you would give us a willing spirit that we might not say, Lord, Lord, and then not do what you say, proving to not really be your disciples, but, but that you would give us the spirit of a disciple to sit at thy feet, to listen and soak up everything you're saying with the full intent to do it. And then, Lord, we pray that you would empower us to do it. Amen.